It's here. It's finally here. When I was a kid, I used to dream what it would be like to live somewhere far away from Hell's Kitchen. But I realized the city was a part of me. It was in my blood. And I would do anything to make it a better place. Maybe if he had an iron suit or a magic hammer. Explain why you keep getting your asses handed to you. Welcome to the Defenders TV podcast, the podcast about the Netflix and Marvel TV shows Daredevil, aka Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. This is episode five of our podcast where we're talking about Daredevil episode one, Into the Ring. I'm Derek, I'm your lawyer by day, defender by night. Hi, I'm John, I'm the Fist, the Iron Fist. I'm Chris, also known as Jones, but unfortunately I don't go by Jessica at the weekends. (laughs) Welcome guys, what did you think of that episode? Loved it. Excellent, excellent. Really good. Well, listeners, you can keep track of our podcast by subscribing on iTunes. Go to DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes. You can find us there. You can also find us in any good podcast catcher like Stitcher, Player FM, or any other good podcast catcher. And make sure you follow us on Twitter at DefendersCast. Uh, If you want to send us any feedback on your thoughts of episodes, email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Right, I think we can get into the episode review for Into the Ring, written by Drew Goddard of uh, Cloverfield and the Cabin in the Woods fame, and directed by Phil Abraham, who's directed a bunch of episodes for Netflix of Orange is the New Black. Um, John, do you want to start off with your synopsis of the episode? Yeah. Daredevil episode one, Into the Ring. As a new law practice is established by the name of Nelson and Murdoch, attorneys at law in Hell's Kitchen... Their first client, a secretary called Karen Page at Union Allied Construction, is framed for the murder of a colleague. But her case unlocks a more sinister and nefarious network of criminal bosses with an unknown crime lord at its head, illegally capitalising on the construction boom after the Shatari incident. At the same time, one half of the Nelson and Murdoch firm, Matt Murdoch, blinded by a childhood accident, tackles crime in a different manner as a vigilante in a black mask begins to establish his presence on the streets of Hell's Kitchen, New York, to the inconvenience of the criminal bosses. Right, guys, I think we can uh, go into our five points about this episode. So the way we cover our episodes is that each of us uh, chooses five points we want to talk about, uh, and we'll go into discussions and hopefully cover the whole episode throughout uh, throughout the podcast. Uh, Chris, do you want to give us your first point? Um, I'm going to start with the opening. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Right. Um, the theme tune, which is just perfectly sets up the, the, the actual uh, the atmosphere of the episodes um, and then to the visuals of the dark red which we can assume is kind of the blood but also there's probably the elements of the, the red from the suit in there and it's slowly making its way and dripping over the Brooklyn Bridge and uh, some of the we can I'm hoping is Fisk Tower okay or because you don't don't see an A so I'm assuming it's not Avengers Tower mm-hmm. um, and then finally ending with um Charlie Cox silhouetted with two horns. Um, that, but that was just an amazing opening. It's really good, isn't it? Yeah. The music's by John Paisano, who, uh, who did some music for the maze run of the film. Uh, so he's the musical director for the show. I thought it was really good. It really evoked the right, uh, I suppose the right uh, mood for the, for the piece and the right mood for the show. I'm really looking forward to hearing that for the next 13 episodes. Definitely. Yeah. Those opening credits were really good. It, it kind of reminded me slightly of Hannibal as mm. well with the whole sort of dripping red. Um, moving over, you know, different images such as the Brooklyn Bridge and, um, you know, sort of the, the Catholic Church and, and all those different sort of and iconic Le- images of Daredevil. It was great. Yeah, and, Loved it. And Lady Justice as well, um, was, was the first, the first thing that was built out of the blood as well, which yeah, was quite cool. So it was superb. I'm hoping that they do something with, which they don't do often in the Marvel ones, which is each, episode intro is slightly different and they may add more like uh, Castle have 
different ones for different episodes. Right. And there's uh, some hoping they might lay some Easter eggs as he evolves. More things might get dripping with blood or mm-hmm. different locations. But I guess we'll have to wait and see and wait till episode two review, and then we'll I'll come back to that point. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. No. I, I love the I love the fact that it's covering New York. It's setting up the location. It's setting up the justice, and it sets up the devil himself. Yeah, definitely. Any other points on the, on the intro? No, but I, I think it connects in with one of my points, which was that whole pre-credit setup as well, um, which led into the, the opening credits. Like uh, the whole confessional aspect of mm. it, the whole um, initial fight sequence that you saw with the man in black, um, all those different elements and the childhood um, accident. I just thought it was a really neat and tidy sort of introduction to this entire world um, and origins of Daredevil in a really sort of sort of succinct kind of condensed way. And in particular, I loved the whole confessional. It just evoked um, everything about Daredevil. It, there were a few bits there from, I think, the previous trailers. I'm not seeking penitence for the, for the stuff that I've done, but I'm seeking forgiveness for what I'm about to do. That just kind of sort of just launches everything, and and it's great. Yeah. And even where he says, oh, Jesus, and, and, <laughs> and the priest says language. Right. There's great little touches throughout that whole um, confessional scene. Loved it. Yeah, yeah I think... The- one thing I definitely say about the intro is it starts off with the with the sound of sirens and it just invoked for me Lost, where you start off with the kind of wall of sound after the plane crash at the beginning of the series, and it just throws you right in there in a really visceral scene, very unlike what we saw in the Daredevil 2003 film, wasn't it? Um, where it was much more of a half hour about the young Matt Murdock becoming Daredevil and becoming. Um, I suppose being blinded, you see him before he's blinded. This show has none of uh, none of Matt before he's blinded. This is a, a the setup of the scene is uh, Matt being found already um, already covered in toxic waste. I guess so. Uh, that, that was quite that, interesting. And that was a fear of mine. It was a genuine fear that this first episode was going to be nothing but another origin story, which we've all seen back from two thousand three, and any <laughs> comic followers know off by heart. Yeah. So I was just very happy that they got rid of that in the first. 10, 15 minutes mm-hmm. before the opening sequence, and I think that was just perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw on, on the barrels of the, the toxic sort of waste that kind of goes into his eyes, I didn't see any kind of industry slogan like Rand Corp or mm-hmm. even Stark Industries or um, AIM or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't see anything, um, or Roxxon um, Chemicals and all that didn't see any of that which i was hoping to see but mm. i mean it doesn't matter but um yeah so no one no big marvel corporation from the comics was involved in the blinding of of daredevil yeah and, Matt that, and i think that's a good thing i think the fact that he's been blinded in an accident still is the original orange story rather than him being blinded by uh, that it's caused by somebody else it can't really be it's an accident he's been hit and covered in, in toxic goo, um, rather than that, rather than somebody specifically attacking a, a poor eight-year-old boy. Um, yeah, that it for the intro, guys. Yeah, yeah. for me. Um, my first point, uh, just a little bit later on in the episode, um, is about Ma- Wesley's threat. Uh, so Wesley is the uh, is the bad guy um, that we really see a lot of in this episode. I love how they play his threat. To the uh, to what we find out is a is a police officer, uh, where he brings out a, a video of his daughter, a live video essentially makes the father call her and watch her as he as he sees a person intending to kill her sitting across the way. I think it's a really fantastically put together scene, a really good a really good dramatic moment, and shows how evil Wesley is, and shows how much he's going to be a part of this show. Um, I think that's a really good setup for that character. Oh, definitely, and you have taken. One of my other points. Um, so, um, yeah, I thought Wesley Welch in this episode was great. Um, obviously, they're played by Toby Leonard Moore. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that scene with the jail officer or the police officer where he's sitting having his lunch and he just sidles up by him saying, we want a certain amount of money off you. Um, just the threat from that entire scene and he shows us the tablet with his daughter there at university with her potential killer if he doesn't pull uh, the line. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, just the whole sort of nefariousness of it um, this kind of this right-hand man, almost um, just a, sh- a shadowy figure but just 
threatening on behalf of his master and his boss. I, I loved it. I really did like it. And I, I loved then, you know, he was just this entire doer. He just did, he did things. He, he tried to get them sorted or to sort them. And I, I loved his whole, um, presence in this episode a lot. Um, yeah, no, I have to agree. Um, the, the just overall, the, the menacingness. Mm-hmm. If that's even a word, <laughs> yeah, no, it was just it was well done. It was well put together that scene. Um, the tablet surprised me just because that's actually a Microsoft Surface tablet All right. for those who caught. So I would have assumed a Sony or Samsung kind of promo deal there, right. but it looks like Microsoft have got the Netflix product placements <laughs> in <good>. already. <laughs> very good. Um, but yeah, no, a very good scene and great actor. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Chris, do you want to give us your second point? Okay, I'm going to actually just go with the overall tone writing of it. So it looks like Goddard and Denight have actually heavily drawn from Miller's um, material, which mm-hmm. I'm very happy for. Um, and it, it, I was wary of another superhero origin series. Um, I'm obviously excited but because I love the, the actual material and the, the canon of this uh, series. But I did have that fear in me that this is going to be just another setup. It's like 13 episodes of how he becomes Daredevil. Right. But it came out more of a thriller. came out of like an almost law and order type kind of uh, situational piece. So it was dark. It was gritty. The, the fight scenes itself didn't look cartoony. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think I mentioned in a previous episode, like one of the, the jumping between canisters looks like a man on a wire. Mm-hmm. They must have slowed that down for the actual trailer because in the episode, it looked good. It yeah. looked like someone just, he had to, if he had a, Charlie Cox had a shed parkour after, uh-huh. it would have been, it would have been like, yeah, well done. Good, <laughs> good. But yeah, no, I think that the, the, the Denied as a showrunner and Goddard as the overall writer, it just it all came very well together, and um, the the just the the tone, the emotion, the 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 serialness of the episodic the nature is that they've wrapped up Karen Page's first uh, piece, mm-hmm. and now she's well, spoiler, she's going to work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but so like they just wrapped that up neatly, but then the last two minutes were setting up everything else. Absolutely. And I think it was really well done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that kind of speaks to one of my points, which is the setup of the bad guys at the end of the episode. Obviously, we're spoiling everything about the episode. We probably should have said it at the start, but I think uh, if you're listening to a podcast about the show, you've either watched all of them or you are uh, or you want to know all the details. We, we thought about it. Um, the setup of the bad guys at the end of the episode is fantastically done. I, was, I, I mentioned directly afterwards, I don't remember seeing a show set up the rest of the series as well as this. And all it is is five shots of the bad guys you saw earlier on in the show. You have uh, Anatoly and Vladimir, the two uh, Serbian uh, kidnappers. You see them st- stealing a child from uh, from the car of of uh, of a father. Essentially, you have uh, Madame Gao, who they they show you where she where she works with her blind employees making drugs. Um, you have uh, Nobu, who is the Japanese developer. You have him looking over plans to take over. Uh, the building works over uh, Hal's kitchen. Um, and yeah, you have little Nesley in there, um, who is essentially just shown as a really good accountant and how he transfers the money around for the shadowy bad guy uh, in this episode. Um, I just thought it was really well done to show these are the villains that Matt Murdock will have to fight. And you have Matt Murdock sitting over the city, watching over his city, hearing a, a child scream for his father. Um, fantastic close out to the episode and a fantastically written scene, I think. And I think the, the really good point of that is each of the uh, the villains have something that draws back to Matt's past. Mm-hmm. So the Chetnians the kidnapping a father and son and the guy, obviously Matt Murdock and his father yeah. Yeah. and then the blind with Madame Gao. Yeah. So obviously the, that's the blind element and then Nobu with attacking hell's kitchen as a whole so that's his that's daredevil's area yeah. his playground so yeah. i just thought that each of those will in a way probably play back to some emotional part or that is daredevil's character mm-hmm. yeah yeah no totally agree yeah like i thought that that wrap-up at the end just kind of was that mirror of the wrap-up at the start it was done really really well or not wrap-up but set up i suppose at the start that mirror image 
done really nicely, as you say. Mm-hmm. Um, and overall, I just thought the pacing of this episode was was great. And I suppose that's one of the things where you don't necessarily need to factor in things like advertising or commercials. And um, it just was a nice pace of moving through and um, this story around um Karen Page being, you know, framed for for this murder and, and the the tentacles spreading out from that across um Hell's Kitchen and New York um you know, it was really, really good, I think. Yeah, yeah. Actually, when you talk about structure, it did feel more like a film, more like an hour of a film. Um, I, I, as you say, I think when you watch an episode of, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's very quick to identify the act breaks, where they have to go to an ad break and keep you watching and make sure you come back after those five minutes of ads. This show didn't seem to have many act breaks. It was very much, it flowed really differently from from any of the superhero shows that we watch, or I've watched, I suppose. And I, I think it's it's a testament to how they're working for Netflix and how they're, how they're putting together the story for Netflix. Hope they can keep this kind of pace up. Yeah, I think that they, the, the, the pacing is going to be something that shows that Netflix is the ultimate home for these types of shows, mm-hmm. where you, you can't just have 13 to 12 episodes with not breaks, blah, 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 because it's just that, like you said, you guys said, pacing just doesn't work sometimes. Mm-hmm. So even in the last episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I, I found myself kind of kind of turning off, switching off, and I've never had that before. Right. And it's just because they were trying to go fast, pace, slow down, fast, pace, slow down. Yeah. But this first episode of Daredevil was just one hour, 60 minutes of in your face, you must watch in case you miss something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, John, do you have your next point? Yeah, um, I think, you know, we've talked about all these criminal bosses being shown. What I really, really, really liked was that this shadowy figure, Kingpin, a.k.a. Wilson Fisk, we all know he's there, but he wasn't seen Mm -hmm. in the episode at all. And for me, I just think this is really important um, point for his character that the first episode, the big sort of bang of this show, and you don't see um, Matt Murdock, Daredevil's main protagonist and ultimate bad guy in the slightest. Um, I think it elevates his power and influence that he must hold over these other criminals. It adds to his mystery and the intrigue surrounding him. And given the trailers have shown him from the back and then the second and third trailers, you know, showed um, his front and more of um, his scenes within the whole series. I just thought this was a really good call from the showrunners, from the writers, not to include him in any of this episode, but to only hear his voice when, again, and this is part of the reason why I loved Wesley Welsh in this, and he actually got more time than I thought because he was there and... Um, because Kingpin wasn't around, Wesley Welch was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- we saw a lot more of him than I thought we were going to, actually, in episode one. And it was probably, on, obviously, to do with the fact that the Kingpin doesn't show up. But that whole bit in the car where the Kingpin is essentially talking to him, have you done and sorted out this mess, essentially? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we move to that wrap-up where we have... The um, the assassin who was after Karen Page in her apartment, you know, strung up with the bed sheets. The jail officer shot through the the head and um, looked to it to make it look like a suicide. Mm-hmm. And all of the, it's almost a bit bonding. It's almost a bit like uh, Spectre. This idea that you don't see him; he's not there in the episode. You hear his voice, but all this stuff has been done in his name. It's great. I loved it. That to me was the best part about this episode yeah yeah no really good i have to say i love that you've taken uh wesley walsh's threat really well we don't say his name i like it you didn't use mr fisk once in there john well done <laughs> i i don't take his threat for anything of course um yes really loved it particularly the discussion with um with wilson fisk and wesley in uh, in the car essentially setting up how they're going to take out all the people that have wronged them essentially and uh and fisk deciding Karen Page is, of, is no longer a threat. Everything she knows is in the papers, so she can live, she can go at it and live her life now. Um, loved the setup and loved, and loved that scene, definitely. And that they have a file now on Nelson and Murdoch. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Really interesting. I would love to know as well 
why he thinks they will be of use in the future. Mm. I, I like that little sort of shout out. Because um, even I remember from the Daredevil 2003 movie, there was that element where um, the Kingpin is seemingly drawn to um, Nelson uh, and Murdoch at the sort of um, the black and white ball that they had mm-hmm. in that film. Um, and again here, the, there's a kind of um, an attraction or a pull there um, by the Kingpin to um, Nelson and Murdoch. Maybe it's because they're all from Hell's Kitchen. I don't know. I, it's It's interesting to know why... Um, that line was included. I'd love to see how uh, that plays out as well um, in future episodes. Yeah, 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 really good. Um, I guess on to my next point, if nobody else hasn't. That's no, great. Um, just a, a really good scene, Matt questioning Karen um, a couple of times. There's a, a couple of scenes that he does this, but uh, his first scene questioning her where he's trying to find out whether she's innocent or not. Um, and he says, do you know who's trying to kill you? She says, nope. And he says, do you know why they are trying to kill you? Uh, which I think is just a, a really well-played line. It's, yes, she does know that someone is trying to kill her, but she doesn't know who it is. That answer could have been taken that she didn't know anybody was trying to kill her. She could have sounded very innocent, but Matt picks yeah. up on it really well. I love how they do the the visualization of his, um, I'm calling it lie detector, essentially. Um, really, really interesting where the heartbeat is shaking the camera, shaking the screen, um, and it's focusing his, his uh, thoughts on on Karen uh, throughout these scenes. I think it's really good and really good uh, use of, of technology to, to show what what this character could be experiencing, I suppose. Um, I thought that was really, really interesting and really detailed probing from, you know, a, a really well-trained uh, lie detector, as I say. Yeah, no, I love that heart rate thing where in the interrogation room at the police precinct, you have the heart quite steady. You know, Matt Murdock is then quite, convinced that she's telling the truth and then all of a sudden um you know he's trying to figure out why she wasn't just killed outright and then he's well if that didn't happen you know what is it that's keeping her alive and why did they then come and back to her to try and kill her um after they had tried to frame her and you have that heart rate increases you know he's, he's kind of probing um, you know, what is it that they have on you or you have on them? Yeah, yeah no, I, I thought that was absolutely great as well. And there are a few nice touches between Karen Page and, um, and Matt Murdock that I really liked, particularly in his apartment where, you know, some of those awkward questions, I suppose, that maybe, um, people who can see might have, um, when talking with, um, a blind person, just that about, how would you comb your hair? How do you know it, it looks okay? You know, that she's nodding and he calls it out um, on a, you nodded then, didn't you? And she said, oh, yes, you know, these things that you would probably slip into if you didn't know. I liked how they sort of used them in, in those kind of more um, personal moments between the two characters. I thought that was really good. And I think Cherry Cox actually plays the blind man very well. Oh, yeah. I, I would Definitely. The, comparing him to... Ben Affleck, mm-hmm. who you just didn't believe was 100% blind. Mm-hmm. Charlie Cox actually plays it very well. He plays that I can't see. Yeah. And I think that's that's an important one because he still has that cheeky grin when he, like, with the nodding part. Yeah. In that, he has that grin on his face. They haven't whited out his eyes mm-hmm. just for that terrible look, which is he's blind, but he's not actually blind kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Really well played. And he He's quite good at it. He he invokes that awe factor right. that I want to. I, I don't <laughs> think it's like oh he's blind, and then he's, uh-huh. there's a line with um, Foggy, which is all about uh, the beautiful women, mm-hmm. um, and that, that he always seems to win the beautiful women with his blind. And there's a joke about oh yeah, the 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 realtor has the realtor said that. Uh, she hates blind people, mm-hmm. just so that he wouldn't try and uh, steal her away from Foggy. Yeah. I think that that's it was quality acting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's all in the eyes. Um, I, I was watching the scene where he takes off his glasses while talking to Karen Page, um, and it's really well played. He's looking around her. There's no point when he meets her eyes, and if he does, it's by accident. And that's a that must have taken so long for Charlie Cox to get right. Uh, I remember them talking on the EJ Scott podcast that we put up a couple of months ago. Um, Karen. Uh, 
excuse me, <laughs> I was going to call it Karen Page, but Deborah Ann Wall and, and um, Charlie Cox were talking about filming those scenes and how difficult it is for somebody who's actually filming shots with Matt Murdock in them because generally you'd be looking for the eye line of the character and he has no eye line. So they were constantly joking about the fact that you can never watch his eye line. You can never get exactly what he's looking at because he's not looking at anything. That's not what he's, he's essentially looking at noise, looking at the, the source of something rather than what we would do, which is look into each other's eyes or look at each other's lips potentially. But that, that kind of thing, I thought that was really yeah. interesting. I think he played it really well, really, really well. No, really great point. So, who's next? Uh, I'm going to jump in then, um, and kind of follows on from that. We talked about the the heartbeat lie detector. Mm-hmm. I think this has set up Daredevil's powers perfectly. Right. Um, he, he's not a superhero. Mm-hmm. He's not an Avenger, a Thor, a, a, a Captain America, super super soldier. He seems to be from this first episode just a really well trained top-of-the-line human mm-hmm. who has offset his eyesight with extended hearing. Right. So he's able to hear a heartbeat. He's able to hear a chain clanking behind him mm. perfectly, even in the midst of rain and things. And I think that was one of my disappointments in the 2003 film, where he was able to see that he had this almost radar... And he was able to see the water dropping off her face and yeah. stuff like that. This doesn't seem to portray that. This seems to portray that Matt Murdock is uh, essentially a Batman. He is uh, human. He can be hurt. He can be cut. He can be bruised. Mm-hmm. He spits out blood when you you knock him down and throw him out a window. Yep. But he is just able to do the flips, able to scale tall buildings, using parkour um, <laughs> and it's just then the visual of that which was they said they, they kind of they the camera beated with the heartbeat mm-hmm. they fuzzed out things slightly um, and they just kind of focused on what he was focusing his hearing on mm-hmm. that was the center of the shot and everything else started to blur out from it yeah. um, and I think that was just amazing it was a nice way of doing it that he is just has heightened senses yeah he's not super hearing like a, a Superman or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually wrote down uh, a reference to Daredevil 2003. It's in the same fight in the rain with Mr. Rance, essentially, where he swaps hands with the knife. So instead of what happens in Daredevil, Daredevil 2003, where he's seeing the face of a woman uh, in the rain, essentially he's using the rain to know that the knife has swapped hands. And it's really well picked out by the camera work. Yeah. But I do think it's a reference to 2003. They're not going to use it for a lovey-dovey scene. They're going to use it in the middle of an action scene. I yeah. think it's a, a great choice. But I, I think I had a similar thought with that whole fight scene with the, the assassin and was that they didn't overplay his senses as well. So they focused in on you know the chain clinking against the, 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 the stairs coming down from the building. Mm. There was the rain and you saw that and influence how he moved with the camera work and how they had sequenced the whole fight scene. But, you know, they didn't have some dreadful kind of suddenly go into an effect where it was showing, yeah, this all with the pitter-patter of the rain. So they got the balance of showing his heightened sense through sort of different camera work and just quick shots away to the chain tapping on the stirs, and then back to essentially a great fight scene. Yeah. Um, it was a really good balance of how, how they did all that, I thought. Yeah, I think there was some, some talk during the, when the trailers showed the scene of the, uh, of the chain smacking against the fence that that would be a way for him to use radar. Actually, it turns out that he's hearing the chain and then uses it as a weapon. That's brilliant. It's really much better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, definitely really, really good. I The only one thing I would say... I loved that whole fight sequence from the intruder in Karen Page's apartment mm-hmm. and then falling out of the window. And generally, I did think that the flashbacks worked here, but I thought that flashback just took me out of the moment of that scene where they've crashed out of the window and Daredevil is there face down in the pool and you see the blood coming out of his mouth into the pool and then it flashes back to him and his dad and I thought it was a good flashback but it just took me out of the moment of um, of that whole fight scene mm. and the sort of the tension built up from it it's only a minor thing but I hope and I think in the main the flashbacks worked here and I like that 
But again, hopefully they don't overuse the flashback, um, maybe in the sense that uh, possibly another TV show ha- has done. Um, Speaking about Lost, don't you? Yes. <laughs> well, it has an island, let's just say that. So there is an island involved. Um, answers on <laughs> answers on a postcard, if uh, <laughs> which TV show. Um, but, no, I mean... I loved that whole fight scene. I loved how they portrayed his um his heightened senses and his powers. Um as I say, that's just my slight one negative. It just immediately took me out of that great scene, I thought, but I still like the flashback. Yeah, and I just you were talking with I think the reason they put that flashback in there was to remind us from the beginning of the episode where he talks about his dad being able to take a punch. That he's AP, it's like he lost more than he won. Mm-hmm. He he got beaten up, and then they flash back in that to show the dad's taking the punch. He's taking Absolutely. a big hit, but he's still walking. I think that was the whole. It was yeah. It was a bit of like, oh yeah, you remember this from like twenty minutes ago? Mm-hmm. Now there you go. Now this is why we're putting yeah. it in, right. so that he's able to. He does. He's fallen out of a window, but anyone else would be like on the ground. No, no, no. Matt Murdock can take a punch, and he's able to get up. And I think that's. The one thing I did really like about the fight scene was that it was a human fight scene. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a superhuman. Yeah. It was he. He got. He took punches, Absolutely. and it went on for about five minutes, and he kicked back. And but then you saw him get kicked and fall down, and then look like for a second he wasn't going to get up again. I think that was thing. It's not going to be these two seconds. Wham bam, it's over. Thugs. It's yeah. actually no. He's going to have to fight his way through all each of these folks. Definitely, yeah. definitely. I mean, as I say, for me, a m- very minor quibble. <laughs> I did like the uh, I did like the fact that it's it's Matt waking up to his father saying, "Get up, get back to work." I thought that was a really good touch of the of the flashback. I didn't have a, a major problem with it at all, uh, to be honest. And I must admit, we went to see Fast and Furious Seven this week, um, <laughs> which has some very visceral fight scenes and very well choreographed. And fight a great scenes. opening. A brilliant opening, but it's also cost, you know, millions and millions of dollars on amazing choreography. And these people are very heavily trained professionals. I have to say the fight scenes in this show have stood up against Fast and the Furious 7 for me. They're just as visceral. They're just as exciting and just as powerful as they were in a, in a, whatever it was, $240 million film for one episode so far. So I'm delighted ahead of it. But we do need to compare it against the car chase scenes. <laughs> <laughs> no car chase scenes yet. yet. Um, John, I think it's your point. Yeah, um, I'm kind of about to eat slightly humble apple pie. Yes. Um, I think previously I had kind of said about how, you know, in one of the trailers you looked at across Manhattan Island and... Um, Nothing was destroyed. And I made reference in the synopsis about the shatari. Um, oh, I do keep thinking sh- shiitake mushrooms. Um, <laughs> and that goes through my head every time I, I try and say that word. But And I did like... The Battle of New York from the yeah, Avengers. Yeah, from the Avengers. <clears throat> um, I loved... I, I had kind of mentioned how, you know, well, it wasn't flattened. Where are all the cranes and so on? And I must say, I loved the way they linked the crime bosses and the Russians, the Chinese, the Japanese, um, and obviously then the locals and the, the Americans into um, the construction of New York after uh, the Avengers movie and mm-hmm. the attack and invasion from the Shatari. So I l- absolutely loved how that was connected in which i think on the trailer sort of chat that we had i kind of said you know sometimes is it a bit of a a ball and chain around the ankle to have to say well you know make the effect that new york is totally flattened um when they obviously didn't in the trailer but then i thought the way they sort of uh, tied it into that just with a little nod and a reference was was really good actually. Absolutely, uh, you know. Yeah. And given that construction, I loved the meeting of the the crime bosses in the building under construction, and I did like Elsie's just whole scene there um, about him being cold, and um, you know, twenty odd, thirty odd floors up in in the sky on, on this. Um, skyscraper being built um, but I, I, I love that little nod so I eat humble pie and say you know well done for that little reference and nod 
Excellent, excellent. Thanks, Stephen, tonight for John. <laughs> uh, apologize for that one. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. The little Nilesley little scene where he talks about, you know, let's have every superhero fight in New York because that just gives us extra <laughs> places to reconstruct, you know. The fact that reconstruction of the city of New York is the fundamental reason why these, why all these guys are coming together to, to essentially profit from the reconstruction of the of the city after the Avengers destroyed it. Yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Really good, uh, really good call out. It was less seeing John be wrong. Um, <laughs> Although that is loads of fun. That was the best part of it. Um, it was more that they threaded it back into the MCU. Yeah. So we now know that this is taking place post-Avengers, uh, 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 pre-Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. We'll need to see where it kind of lies. I- I'm assuming that it's going to be post, uh, post The Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. So we'll probably get some reference to Hydra some reference to S.H.I.E.L.D. falling down. I'm assuming it's the, that element of time. Um, I'm curious to see. We have been told that there is there is some crossover with uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious. I'm keeping my eyes peeled for that mm-hmm. in terms of we now know. So they, the episode that came out last week for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, obviously had one or two people and the humans and etc cetera, etc cetera. so i don't think they'll go down that route mm-hmm. i'd say it'd be more nods to someone saying colson or to uh the 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 army or yeah i i'm i, I want to see that one yeah there was one nod in there that you spotted wasn't there in fogwell's gym yeah so this has made me very happy which is uh creel versus murdoch and mm-hmm. uh, there's a poster ah, yes. for creel versus murdoch um and this was seen previously in the the trailer um, and uh, Kevin has come out and said that this is the exorbit- absorbing man. The absorbing it is, man, yeah. It is Creel. Um, and so people were always going, well, how is that possible? Mm-hmm. Well, because he was younger. Yeah. He, and hopefully in flashbacks we'll see him. Probably won't be the same actor. If it is, myself and Derek had a bit of a discussion of how could that be. Mm-hmm. I don't think it will be. I think it will just be a nod to him that this is the man. They'll shave his head. They'll make him quite buff. Yeah, and remember, The Absorbing Man, if you don't know, he, he appeared in an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. early on in Season 2. Um, he's a man who has unbreakable skin, or uh, at, at this time anyway, he has unbreakable skin and, you know, can reform after being hit, essentially. So, And he, when quite... he touches the materials, he absorbs their properties as well. So if he touches wood, he be, he turns to wood, mm-hmm. tarmac, tarmac. Metal, metal, and exactly. um, that whole thing relates slightly as well, maybe to Luke Cage, not exactly, mm-hmm. but this whole idea of the unbreakable skin and the fact that Luke Cage is that person as well. Yeah, yeah. So, in my head, it's very entirely possible the same actor could play um, could play Creel in Daredevil. He just may have gotten transformed into the Absorbing Man at a certain point in his life and stayed that young for a long time. So we will see as we go through the episodes of Daredevil. They're all up there, so we could go and have a look, but we're having much more fun talking about a podcast at the moment. Um, I think it's my point now, is it, or is it? I think it's your point. Is it me? Yeah. Kind of related to, to John's point, I really like the explanations for questions as you ask them in your own head. I think they're really, uh, they're, they're really well done in the episode. So, for example... Um, when Foggy and, and Matt go and find their their uh, their law firm, um, I obviously would wonder how these two guys who are setting up a law firm for the first time in New York have never taken a case before straight out of college, really. Uh, how are they going to afford an office in New York City? And it's explained away really quickly by saying, essentially, the destruction from the Battle of New York destroyed the neighbor's place and the other side of the road. Um, you guys are getting this cheap because there's nothing around you and nobody wants to live in this area because of the destruction. Really good. Matt's apartment, the reason why he's got a beautiful apartment, which everybody used to slag off about the, uh, about friends, why everybody lived in big apartments when they had no jobs. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, Matt Murdock lives in this apartment because they installed a gigantic billboard across the road that flashes all the way throughout the night, but he's blind, so it doesn't matter to him. You know, really good little, little things that as questions come up in my head about, you know, how would this be possible? They answered them instantly. Thought yeah. No, I, I had the, I had that whole thing. How can he afford an apartment like this? And, then along came the billboard. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Absolutely loved that quick explanation. Um, you know, didn't linger on it. It was just a an obvious thing because this whole room bathed in the flashing billboard light. Yeah. yeah. So that was um, really good. 
Yeah, on the billboard was Zinning Airways. Uh, Zinning is a place in China. Very possibly, Madame Gao, as she was called out as Chinese, that's where her base of operations is. So we, yeah. this may not be the last we hear of it. And we now know that there's a direct flight from New York to Zinning as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'd say this might come into play with uh, Iron Fist. Possibly. With the whole Rand Corporation, and we'll find something there. I think, I think they're going to set up some of the villains from this mm-hmm. to fall over into the Luke Cage, Jessica Jones. Uh, obviously, we know this will be less superhero, more um, kind of vigilante. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think they might pull some of the people over just to show, obviously, like that the the, um, the triad um, is probably involved with kind of Jessica Jones and Kilgrave and etc. Right. Um, and the it could even be the the hand. Potentially, absolutely. Yeah. There's there's, uh, there's tons more to explore in the show as we go on. Uh, but yeah, that's that definitely for me. How they answered my questions as we uh, uh, as uh, as they went along was just really good. I thought that was they found, found no fault in how they were doing it. They actually, if you look at it, if you think about it, the apartment is very similar to the 2003 film. Mm. The black stone wall kind of area, very open space, um, the the same kind of color schemes, the the same hallway. Yeah. I think that was a very nice nod to go, okay, well, we're not going to exactly, he's not going to have a, a slidey knob dials that he has to open up a wall. Yeah. But I think... With 600 individually uh, hand-tailored suits made yeah. by somebody that doesn't know he's Daredevil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's a beautiful, a beautiful apartment. God, I'd love to live there. I wouldn't mind the flashing lights all night, to be honest. No. Blackout curtains. Blackout curtains, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Chris? Yeah, for me, um, I think one of the, the, the nice ones is, yeah, just the uh, Fogwell's Gym, mm-hmm. which is signature to um, Daredevil lore, canon, whichever you want to call it. Um, it, it featured heavily in Miller's kind of previous um, comics. Yeah. And I think this is a nice way he showed uh, Charlie Cox going in as Matt Burlock at the end, just fighting or pu- using fighting a punching bag, but you can see he was getting his frustration out. Um, or he was fighting through the pain. We're not quite. But that was just again at the end of the seat, the end of the, the episode. Mm-hmm. It was just a nice way. This is his fortress of solitude, if you want to call it that. Yes. Yeah. Slips the cleaner twenty twenty dollars and or whatever, and we just saw a note being passed. Um, and I think that was nice. It's it's his area, and I think that will play. Again, we know it's going to play heavily from the flashbacks. I'm wondering. How it's going to play out in present day, right? Because right. um, I think at one part in the old material, actually not Miller's, but um, Murdoch actually buys Fogwell's, right? Right, and he owns it, and that's how he's able to kind of it's his. He makes it into a similar to uh, Danny Rand with the orphanage. Uh, sorry, Danny Rand is Iron Fist, mm-hmm. so um, but and he has a kind of orphanage for himself uh, that he owns and he has kids in. But um, Murdoch bought, bought a gym to train and get kids off the street of Hell's Kitchen. Right, right. So I'm wondering if that's going to be some part, maybe not this series, maybe series, season two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, that was a nice, I like that, just seeing that and being explained. Yeah, I have to say I love after one episode of the show, Chris is absolutely convinced we're getting a season two. I'm totally with you there. <laughs> Me this too, is, yeah. definitely. And the thing with the, when they were hitting and punching the, the punch bag, it did flash between Matt Murdock and his father as well, didn't it? That whole, that I really yeah. enjoyed. I thought that that was kind of done with the whole sort of lead in as well to all the the criminal bosses going about their thing and, That's right. and Daredevil ultimately being atop of that um uh, iconic building um in in New York that looks down one of the the long avenues which I think as well we've seen in Gotham as well so yeah, um, we talked about it on Gotham TV podcast as well yeah, yeah. we did exactly so um <clears throat> it was uh, that was really good and I liked as well a lot of the stuff to do with the light where he says keep the lights off because like, mm-hmm. he, yeah. you know, and even um, Karen Page when she comes to his apartment, it's he doesn't bother with the lights, and mm-hmm. she's like, "It's very dark in here, like in yeah. the hallway." And I love it's just nice little touches. Yeah. So low, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. And I love that when she turns on the lights, it's one light bulb as well. So, <laughs> and then the billboard outside lights up the rest of the apartment. Uh, but yeah, you're right. That the Fogwell's gym in in uh, to Daredevil is really what the Fortress of Solitude is to Superman. This is where he goes to relieve his tension from the day. Nobody else goes in and out of this place. It's for him to just work out his tension and work out his his abilities without anybody else watching him. Yeah. 
and the bedroom. <laughs> Love it. Possibly he seems to have a, a bit of a way with the ladies, as, uh, as Foggy points out. Definitely. And that kind of comes into my last point, mm-hmm. um, which I really love the setup between Foggy Nelson and Matt Murdock. Definitely. Them setting up the practice, the dynamic was was great. Um, and Eldon Henson, who plays Foggy, I liked how he was giving cigars to the police officer to try and get a, a hook into their first case, um, which they get. Yeah, for his mother, isn't it? For his mother, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just the, this kind of admiration for, for Matt Murdock coming from Foggy Nelson. Um, how, it's not that there's jealousy, I don't think it's that at all, but it's just this, you seem to focus in on the ladies, um, and the good looking ones at that. It was just a great little dynamic between, um, the two of them and them setting up the, the law practice. Again, I just love the, the Nelson and Murdoch attorneys at law scribbled on a bit of paper stuck onto the, the outside door of their, their office. Yeah. Really good. Um, so that, that was, that was my kind of final point. Just their interactions were really good. Um, and I loved how they sort of set up that practice and how it kind of, you know, immediately moved into Karen Page's predicament. And then obviously by the end of it, she needs to pay them somehow. She no longer has a job. She's cooked them, um, a meal, um, to say thank you. But then she comes on board, presumably as their accountant and secretary to, to help out. And that's just a nice little, um, sort of rounding off of how this new attorney practice uh, gets set up. Really liked it. Yeah, and no, I totally agree with you. I think the pattern between the two characters as they as they speak to each other really does feel like they're friends for years. You know, I think that's it's quite difficult to come across sometimes, and particularly on a TV show. But to get someone like Elton Hansen playing this part, I think he's a really good get. I think he plays Foggy with a plum. He's perfect. Like he, he, you know, the idea that he is jealous of the fact that Matt gets women. Um, because of his blindness, he kind of goes, um, I should try the blindness thing sometime and get, and get some girls, you know? Um, I think that's really good fun. Um, the whole element of if there's a pretty girl in the room and, uh, and she's tragic, then you're going to get the girl and it's going to, and I'm going to get the, the problems essentially is, is, is Foggy's <laughs> idea. So you can tell there are people that went to school together. There are people that have known each other for years. And I think it comes across really, really well. Yeah. No, I agree. I just, um, the, the, Dynamic between them. I was about to say the dynamic duo, but um, <laughs> wrong podcast. Wrong podcast. Um, no, it was it was nice. It was the, the humor and that kind of and that leads to where I kind of wanted to take the, this, which is the humor between them. That is the comic relief. I think. Yeah. This is going to be a very dark series, a very dark show in most other parts, and I think that's why Foggy works so well. Mm-hmm. And the actor choice was brilliant. Um, I know there's something about a tie pin in there. He has the same tie pin in every scene. Okay. And I was like, okay, even different suits, same tie pin. Right. So I know that's, I don't know what it's going to play out, but it's going to play out something. Right. Maybe he just doesn't have any money because he's come out of college and any yeah, other one tie pin. <laughs> but then why have a tie pin? <laughs> it's very important. It's, it's, uh, it's very important to the law of practice, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was, it was fantastic. It was well set up and they're going to be very, I think Foggy is going to play the comic relief, which I'm hoping doesn't take away from the show. Uh-huh. Um, that he'll crack a joke midway through a very tough, t- kind of taut scene where you're like getting really into it, and then he makes a joke and brings you out. Yeah. Um, there is an element of danger there, but I think the the writers pro- so far in episode one have done a great job on it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's the same kind of sense of humor that Elsley has, uh, the little Elsley has, and that other scene you spoke about. And the same kind of sense of humor that, that uh, Wesley seems to have as well. They're, they're, it doesn't take you out of the moment. It just feels natural. Yeah. Uh, it feels natural that Foggy Nelson would be slightly jealous of his best friend who gets all the women and he doesn't. Um, you know, it's a, that people look at him differently than they look at Matt. So he just kind of cracks a joke. And that's fine. We all have friends like that. So uh, so it, it feels good right now. Uh, that actually was my last point as well, John. So uh, so we've covered ours. Chris, do you have any other main points to talk about? Um, for me, um, Karen Page. I brought yeah. it up on when we were talking about the trailer, mm-hmm. um, and I think uh, Deborah has actually played the role quite well. Absolutely. In that she ha- there's an element of fragile fragility there, um, but she's also strong because you know she's been lying, mm-hmm. so she keeps stuff to herself. And I'm wondering, will they bring this? Well, obviously, I think that they probably will. Do spoiler alert uh, that she maybe. she maybe. is a, a drug addict. 
Um, and okay. uh, I don't know if they'll bring that totally into it. Maybe that she just, she, we already know she gets in trouble, so she may get into further trouble with Kingpin. Mm-hmm. And then that leads to, um, one of the biggest revelations in the comic books was that, um, Okay, I'm getting nods not to say anything. I don't know whether we can spoil, no, we uh, we can spoil, spoil arcs of the comic books. Uh, just in case they come up on the show and we're, yeah. we're covering each episode as we go. We're not covering any of the future episodes or watching four or five and then podcasting back. We're watching an episode and podcasting about it. So just in case it happens. In the next four episodes, arc, I'm going yeah, to keep it to myself. Just in case. But, but, but um, we will, we will put a little pin on that. And if it happens, you can tell us which, uh, which one you were talking we'll about. We'll put it on the Daredevil board. There you the, go. The Dare board. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, so I'm just, I, I'm very curious how they're going to take that character. And I yeah. think, I, I think Deborah, Deborah Ann will play that role very well. And I'm, I'm just, I'm hoping that she does it justice, especially the kind of more, emotional scenes. Yeah, no, I'm, I have to say I'm very impressed with Deborah Ann Wall here. She was in uh, True Blood. I know her very well from that. I saw many seasons of that show. She played a great character on that show. In this show, she is very fragile and a tragic figure um, sometimes, and she comes across really well like that. She she does need help, but as you say, she is strong enough to say, um, I have the I have the thumb drive in my apartment. I'm going to retrieve it, and I'm still going to keep this this piece hanging over Kingpin because that's what's going to keep me alive essentially so she's still working for herself and still doesn't fully trust Matt and uh, uh, Matt and Foggy at the time um, but yeah really good really good role by, by Deborah Ann Wall yeah I loved as well the fact that the first time we see her her hands are covered in blood just like Jessica from True Blood yeah. um, which loved that show um, and I love Jessica um, in that show I wonder whether it was just a, a nice little reference to the fact that she did literally hot tail it from the final season on final episodes of True Blood up to New York and um, to start filming Daredevil. And of course, we're introduced to her with blood all over her hands, yeah. <laughs> holding a bloody knife with a bloodstained carpet and a bloody corpse uh, in front of her. I wonder if, if you zoom in, there were neck wounds. I just wonder <laughs> if they did a nice little touch there, but I love that. I really did like that and um, kind of almost maybe accidental reference to her true blood origins as yeah. well. Yeah, I think it was it was only something like forty eight hours after she shot her final scenes um for True Blood that she was on on the set of Daredevil. It was really, really quick. She talked about it in New York Comic Con when she was um being interviewed, uh, that she was very new to the show and they cast her very late and she came on board and I think she's doing a great job. And there's a really good chemistry between her, Foggy and and Matt. I think they uh they should work together in the law firm really well, I think. Love triangle, anyone? Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, but maybe mm. she will also be going for the Daredevil rather than for Matt Murdock. Mm. So we could have uh, could have some of that stuff. Um, guys, any other points about the episodes? No, I am all pointed out. Excellent, excellent. So guys, if that's all your points about the episode, Chris, do you defend Daredevil episode one? Completely. Innocent. <laughs> John, do you defend Daredevil episode one? I do defend Daredevil episode one and I give it four horns out of five. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, and for me, yes, I defend it and I cannot wait to see the other 12 episodes of this show. All right. Well, listeners, thank you very much for listening to this episode of, of Defenders TV podcast. If you want to let us know your thoughts, email us at feedback at defenders TV podcast.com. Make sure you subscribe to the episodes because we will be releasing another episode, uh, our review of episode two of Daredevil over this weekend so uh, once you've subscribed to the podcast it should pop up in your feed as soon as possible and remember you can subscribe to defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes on Stitcher Player FM or any other good podcast catcher just search Defenders TV Podcast thank you very much for listening we'll talk to you again over this weekend see you guys bye we fly every night for something when the sun sets we're both the Can't go back for nothing Take what you need